Hello, everyone, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast where we bring you the stories behind the startups from the founders themselves. I'm joined today by the lovely, my fabulous co-host, Dominic Midori Davis. Hey, Dom, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am feeling fantastic because today is the day the Denver Nuggets play NBA Finals basketball for the first time. Hopefully, we only play four times and we sweep the heat. I doubt that'll happen. But... Not only am I amped about that, I'm amped for today's episode because today we're talking to Charles Barron, who's the co-founder and CMO of Farmers Business Network, which is a company that does quite a lot. It is both a commerce site, it is a social network, and it does financial services, all for farmers. But don't let me tell you about it. Let's let Charles dive into the details. Well, hey, Charles, how's it going? Great. Great to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. I think what might make the most sense to get started is why don't you start by telling us about FBN? Well, you know, FBN, we started about nine years ago now, eight and a half years ago or so. We are a network of farmers all across the United States, Canada, some in Brazil as well. We've worked in Australia in the past as well. And what FBN does is it connects farmers online, allows farmers to both share data with each other or do business with us online in new ways. And so fundamentally, it gives farmers more information, more market power, more transparency, more commercial opportunities to run their farms. And all that you know, leads to more profitable farms who are all family entrepreneurs in rural communities and being enabled by FBN's technology online. And that sounds like such an interesting combination of things. Both they can share data with each other, which almost seems, I mean, it's not a social network, but almost feels like that kind of flavor. And then you have sort of like the B2B side, people can buy things and the like. And I'm curious, like, how did you land on this idea to begin with? Well, originally, part of the idea came from farmers where, you know, a group of farmers that we knew were very interested in looking at data with one another to help make better decisions. And so in this case, they were trying to select seed. They were trying to select uh, hybrid corn seed. And every year, farmers have to select seed. Seed is the most important decision they're going to make agronomically. The precision that that seed matches their soil types and their agronomic conditions matters enormously. It's going to drive their yield, which is going to drive their revenue. And so that's going to really be the, the main economic driver on the farm. So they wanted to look at each other's yield data. They wanted to see which hybrids they were planting on, on which farms and which soil types and how they were really performing. And one of them was the other one, seed dealer. So he was sort of saying, hey, you know, I know you want to sell me this seed, but I actually want to see how it's doing on your farm, not just in this test plot. Mm. So show me all your data. And that was kind of the genesis of it. But, you know, what that led to is as we got to know these farmers and really kept asking, well, why do you want to do that? Why don't you trust your dealer? Why don't you trust the seed company? Why don't you trust the university data that you're getting? It just got to the position of the farmers in the farm economy was one where there had been so much consolidation, so much lack of competition that had developed over the years to where the seed market is really only two companies who dominate the seed world for the major commodities, the grain marketing world about three or four companies, the meat packing world about four companies, the ag retail world is consolidated, the chemical world is consolidated, and that you know farmers are the ones who are stuck in the middle. And you've got two million farms; they do all the work, they take all the risk, and they don't get the reward. And that was the fundamental problem that we really centered on with these growers. And we realized that data was just a piece of that, but it was really that they did not feel empowered to run their farms and they did not feel like they had the control both of information and in the market that they deserve. And so that's where FBM came from, was to set out to start solving those problems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that makes sense. And I totally understand, especially like you mentioned, with the market being so concentrated, like 
it is a lot harder to just blindly follow what they're telling you because you don't have those counter arguments. You don't have those counter data sources. But I'm curious, are you from the agricultural background or kind of like, how did you even like, I can get why this is an interesting (laughs) problem now that you're telling me about it. But how did you get tuned in to sort of how farmers were talking about seeds to begin with? Well, no, I'm actually, I got into farming the very old fashioned way I say, which I married into it. My wife's family is from central Nebraska. And so I met, met my brother-in-law at farms there and learned everything through him. I'm from Palo Alto, grew up in Silicon Valley, worked at Google and hadn't set foot on a farm until I was in my 20s. I was visited uh, Anthony's farm in Nebraska. But there was a group of us, you know, involved in starting the company. Adam Mole uh, Desponde, who's our co-founder and CEO, uh, had been doing a food and ag investing as well. And he had worked at Cargill and he knew, you know, had a long background in agriculture. But just, you know, over the years in my, in my family, um, I had just become very, very interested in agriculture and had gotten to know, you know, at a very personal level, the life of farmers as both an observer, you know, from the outside and then also, you know, a participant, you know, now uh, being part of that family. And there's a couple of things that really, really strike you when you get to see agriculture up close and personal. And I think, you know, for most people, if you live in, in the coast or you live in a big city, you may not have a a lot of connection with the farms and where food comes from or the life of the farmer. There may be an idealized notion of what that looks like or what it means, but you may not really understand what it means at the personal level. You know, and, and you go out and you spend time with a farmer and if farmers are going to do about, you know, nine or 10 different, very fundamentally different technical jobs in a given day. They're going to repair equipment. They're going to manage agronomic decisions, fertilizer decisions, genetics, chemistry. They'll do grain marketing. They'll do farm finances. They'll do legal issues around the farm. They have to be business managers. They have family issues to navigate and on and on and on. You know, they get into precision agriculture. They get into drones. Then you have the whole livestock side. So you have that times, you know, different species and get into animal health and feed and nutrition. So there's just this huge array of technical disciplines that a farmer interacts with and has to master. And they learn that, you know, largely through experience and then through also through, you know, a lot of kind of shared education that they do at extension groups and, you know, common interest groups and the like. So farmers are very information hungry. Mm -hmm. And that means that they're also isolated. You know, they're also on their own trying to make those decisions. Typically, there's, you know, a hand one or two people, you know, running a pretty large operation. You know, you may have a handful of family members around it, but it, but it's not many, right? So you don't have a whole team of experts. You don't have a whole team of support folks. You, you have a team of advisors who you maybe have put around you, but you're on your own to make those decisions. That level of disconnectedness and disaggregation combined with the lack of competition, lack of power that farmers had, you know, we really felt this was exactly the kind of problem that a digital network could really help solve. Connecting farmers together, giving them more transparency by aggregating information and data, and then enabling commerce. And then the enabling commerce side has since really become the focus of the company over the last many years, that then is also, you know, powered by our our data analytics. And so you kind of spoke about where the interest came from, but like, what steps do you take to kind of enter the agriculture industry? Like, how do you, and how do you build kind of trust with the other farmers in the network? So it's, it, this is a funny one because it is very difficult if you're not from agriculture or from rural America or have that connection to maybe figure out where to start. But fundamentally, it just comes down to people. And I think it's not a market where a pure online model is going to work necessarily. You have to work with people. You have to work in rural communities. You have to be in those communities. You have to live in those communities. You have to have your team in those communities. And then you have to build technology. So you really have to speak both languages and, and live in both worlds. So for us, we are, our first office was actually in Davenport, Iowa. And that office was our team who worked in the field with our growers. 
And it was before we ever even had space in Silicon Valley. We had our team in Davenport who was working with farmers every day. And then we were constantly on the road, doing road trips out with farmers at trade shows, going door to door, doing whatever you needed to do to help figure out the product and, and build the company in the early days. But I think for a lot of people, if you're in the coast or you're in a big city, farming, you may never think of it. You fly over it and you see those kind of squares and those circles of fields down below as you, you pass over, but you don't, you don't realize all the lives and the amazing amount of action and the amazing amount of innovation that's taking place on the ground. And so that's a pretty big disconnect. So I think it's just people have to have a personal interest and personal connection to it and then understand that it's not going to work as a pure online model, even if uh, that's how you want it to. Mm-hmm. And so how did you take something like farming and something so specific to rural communities and pitch it to VCs? Well, we both had had some venture background. So I mean, Amol obviously was a partner at Kleiner, so he had a, a very you know long venture background. I had done investing at Google. We knew lots of VCs. There's a lot of interest in agriculture and natural resources. Ag is a very large industry with an incredibly important product and an incredibly important consumer. It's all of us. We all eat the product every single day. That's not going to change. That's not going anywhere. The food system is vast. It's a vast industry. And it's you know one that was slower or kind of lagging other industries in the amount of digital transformation that had taken place. That doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of technology going on. There's a lot of technology that was being deployed at the time we started at FBN that for decades, precision agriculture and getting towards autonomy and tractors and precision spraying, variable rate applications, remote sensing, all this stuff. But it was really about integration. So, you know, there's always going to be interest in looking at big markets that have yet to be kind of attacked and, you know, having a, a very interesting approach to them. And for us, it's always about this is a really, really fundamentally cool problem and a very cool and fun customer. And it's, it's a customer who you know, I love working with and, and working for. And it's a phenomenal mission to the company that we've put together that really has you know, rallied everyone and been the focus, which for us is about you know, farmers first. And it means really having a very customer-centric approach to how we work with farmers in agriculture, which is traditionally not how they've been treated by other players. Mm-hmm. And it, with you mentioning just how large of an industry it is, yet how it is sort of slow to adopt these different technologies. I know I was surprised. I covered a story back in my old publication a few years ago about how a lot of farms still use those old like crop dusting planes to fertilize. And like I thought of the scene from North by Northwest, like the Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I was like, no, not the same ones. And they were like, yes, yes, the same, the same types of planes a lot of them. And so I've always been interested and they mentioned then that company and I've heard repeatedly from other companies in this space that it's a hard space to sell into because farms are not these huge high profit margin businesses and a lot of things. It's sort of the, oh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. The industry has been kind of trucking along the same way it has been for a while. And obviously you have been selling to the market if you guys have been around for nine years, but what has it been like selling to a quote-unquote tougher market to sell to who's maybe a little bit more reticent to spend money or a little more hesitant to adopt some of these new solutions. And sort of with that lens, how do you think about scale from here? Yeah. Firstly, just there is a tremendous amount of technology that is in agriculture. So even the world who uh, uses air, what are called aerial applicators for uh, crop protection, those are being guided with you know precision spray maps. Those spray maps are then going back into digital record-keeping systems. So there is a lot of technology that taking place. It's just a really kind of a question of what are you trying to do? You know, for us, what you have to understand about farmers was that 
there's not a lot of profit margin or there has not been a lot of profit margin because of that consolidation that companies have really squeezed farmers as far as they can. And to the point where lots of farms go out of business and you had had a long streak of bad market years and increasing in farm bankruptcies, you know, some real tough challenges in the farm economy. That's been going on for a very long time. So farmers are very rational business people. And even if you are not from rural America, you have to find a way to connect with your customers about the bottom line. And if your technology doesn't deliver a bottom line performance, they'll be happy to try it for a year or two, but they won't stick with it because they're incredibly rational. They're constantly testing new technologies on the farm, whether those are genetics or new fertilizers or biostimulants, new crop rotational practices, agronomic practices. So farmers are very experimental by nature. And they're willing to give a lot of things a try, but fundamentally, you have to deliver financial value. So I think that's an easy thing to kind of overlook. You think, okay, I've got this great new technology. Let's just say it's a drone or back, you know, 10 years ago, we were nine years ago, we were starting, there was lots of drones, there's lots of satellite imagery, there's lots of advanced technology that, you know, people were very interested in. And farmers were sort of like, well, this is cool, but I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with it or how it's going to pay off. And so those kind of technologies had a very tough proposition. So the things for us that you know we've really, really focused on are then providing products that deliver immediate ROI and, and immediate savings to a farm or income opportunities. And so one of the big categories of products we sell are crop inputs. So these are things like seeds, chemicals, biostimulant fertilizers, animal health products, animal feeds, products like that. Now, we're able to very clearly show a farmer with transparent pricing, which is a whole other problem, or genetic transparency benefits to the using that product. So maybe it's switching from a branded to a generic product, or maybe it's finding a genetic of seed that is identical to the one they're planting, and they don't realize that that seed is available from another vendor. Mm. Or maybe it's trying a different, you know, rotational practice or adopting a biostimulant, so on and so forth. But there's very, you know, specific problems that we solve and then provide farmers immediate savings, you know, five, 10 percent or more. We can provide farmers 20, 40 percent, you know, on crop protection. That's tens of thousands of dollars straight to the bottom line right then. So that's not a hard conversation with farmers. Mm -hmm. Something I was just interested about, because your company offers like a lot of different products to farmers. And so I was interested to hear why you decided to offer a lot of different things rather than focus on one specific element of the farming industry. Going back to when we started, we always sort of saw there, there was a much broader problem. You know, there are many specific problems. There's a fertility problem. There's soil management problems. There's crop protection problems. There's seed problems. But the broad problem was the market itself, the market that served farmers, where you had massive consolidation of manufacturers, consolidation of retail, and really decline in choice that farmers were having available to them. And then we looked at the FBN network that we were building. We said, well, there's going to be all these things that we're going to be able to do with the network, with the technology. And once we've built that out with growers, and when one farm joins, they have many needs. They have financing needs, they have insurance needs, they have marketing needs. All those are going to be things that we will eventually be able to do. So the way we've always approached it is we're building a network. Farms participate in FBN. They can do one thing with FBN or they can do a myriad. They can run their farm on FBN, meaning they can use FBN seed, FBN uh, biostimulants and crop nutritional products, FBN crop protection products. They can finance the farm with loans from FBN, get crop protection or crop insurance from FBN. They can run their livestock. They can get their livestock insurance through FBN. They can do their marketing. They can even now get sustainability programs. We have some major sustainability programs with ADM and capture premiums in the market. And so you have to meet all of those customers' needs. Now, 
some of those businesses and services are much more mature for us than others. And some of them are brand new kind of new projects and startups within a startup. But you know that's what farmers are looking for. They don't have one need, they have many. And so they want you to help them you know, drive as much profit as, as you can. Mm-hmm. And I definitely see why that would make sense for the users and sort of the user experience of the different farmers and farms you're working with being able to not necessarily a one-stop shop because that always has sort of a weird connotation to it, but a place they really can go to kind of find a lot of stuff they need. But how does that work for you guys as the business when you think about <laughs> growing all of these different areas out? Are you spending more time on some? Are you finding that did you build them out based on customer feedback? Like, what has it been like as a company trying to sort of tackle all these different areas at once and do them right? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's definitely a lot of the push and pull and the challenge of building the company. I'd just say one of FBN's kind of hallmarks is that we've just been very, very entrepreneurial, you know, to starting things. So we both start the company and then you sort of, you kind of keep that DNA pushing, looking for new product lines and new expansions. And then, you know, ideally what you're, what you're doing is you're building on platforms that then provide more services faster and better you know, to the grower. So once we've built our inputs logistics system, for example, then it's just a matter of putting more products through that system that farmers can take advantage of. So that becomes a very relatively easy extension. Once we've built our digital finance platform, then you can offer equipment, you can offer right. operating loans, you can offer land loans. You can do more things through that and find that you're meeting a broader set of needs. So I think if you you think about it in terms of a platform and you think about it in terms of this broader set of solutions, then it's it's a little more manageable. But there were many, many things we've tried over the years that that did not work or <laughs> did not work as well. And you know, we did not deliver the good level of customer experience that we were we were hoping for. And then, you know, we've we've shut a lot of things down as as much as we've started new ones. What was something that didn't work? Now I got to know. I know. I was about to ask that too. <laughs> I was about to ask. Well, I mean, there's there's a long list of experiments that we've tried. You know, oh, I guess, you know, one of the early, very early ones was we tried to automate seed selection using using data. And we found that that had, so we had, we were processing large amounts of seed data that farmers were, were sharing with FBN. And they were saying, great, now I want basically like an AI to tell me which seed to plant. And this may actually now be possible with current AI, but you know, eight years ago, there was so much human feedback that needed to take place with locally optimizing the seed on every single field that it was an all, a nearly impossible service to, to support for the farmers and meet their expectations. You know, so that was a, a good example. I said, okay, that level of automation of the experience is going to take time to get there. We did a variety of things in grain marketing contracts where you just, the relationship that, you know, you were in with your, with your customer was not the one you wanted to be in long-term because you, you found yourself, okay, we're arguing over grain quality that you're delivering. And really, I want to, I want to help you on all these other things. So I'd rather not be in that position of having to argue about the, uh, the quality of the grain that you're delivering, so on and so forth. So there was a host of services like that. And then, um, you know, recently we went to Australia. We had opened a version of FBN in Australia, very focused on crop protection. We made the decision to exit the Australian market because we saw that, you know, over time, we were not going to be able to bring the full platform down there. And then the sheer size of Australia made it very hard to serve in the same way that we could serve the U.S. and Canada. So some of those are really, really hard decisions because we obviously felt very passionately about these things as we got into them and we started them. But you have to really look at them and say, is it ultimately serving the customer and is it ultimately serving the needs of the company to create returns to the platform that that will benefit more customers and more farmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, kind of going back on something, because you mentioned AI and seeds, and I'm interested to know if you did have that technology today, there would still need to be an element or like a human element behind that, right? In terms of 
determining which seeds to plant? Or is it just that you can automate more of it, but there will still need to be humans in some sense? Yes. The, the point is that there will need to be humans because there's so much, so much precise localization and so many corner cases that the farmer wants to explore in that it's not as simple as just saying, tell me which seed to plant, plant it. There's a myriad of considerations that you have to make sure that you you both have the information on and the farmer has the information on in order to to optimize that. So what crop did you plant last year? What are the uh, weed and pest pressures that are in the field? What are the traits that you've used on that field over the last several years? What's your marketing outlook? All these things go into exactly which you know seed should I select? So it's a very complex kind of multi multi-variable problem. But we've recently come out with an AI called Norm. Uh, it's built on ChatGPT and named after Norman Borlaug. Uh, a legendary agronomist and eater in agriculture for many years, developed the World Food Prize. And that's one of the questions that we've seen farmers asking. They said, okay, I live in this part of Arkansas. Let's look at cotton, peanuts, rice, and soybeans. Let's look at the last five years of prices and tell me what rotation I should plant over my fields for the next three years. And so it's like, it's an extremely hard problem to answer, but you can see exactly how farmers are, are thinking about it. They, they want to be able to answer those questions. So I think there's a lot more to come. And our data science team has been building this phenomenal capability with Norm AI uh, to help those 10 optimization problems. And I'm so interested to think about, since you guys do have all of these different avenues, business avenues, as well as you serve customers in such very different areas than, say, Silicon Valley, even though the company is based in Silicon Valley and you have people out there, how do you think about hiring? It's such like a specialized industry. You guys are doing like a lot of different things and it's serving such as you mentioned a market that most of us just don't think about that much or like have a lot of in-depth knowledge when you're not in the agriculture field. How do you guys think about hiring? Do you require everyone to have like a CSA membership? <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean so I would say, you know, the company was started in Silicon Valley, but as I said, our first office was in Davenport, Iowa. Our biggest office for a long time was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I now live in Nebraska. So, you know, a lot of our team is very local to our our customers. We have a big team in Canada. You know, we have facilities all over the United States. So, you know, California is still our engineering data science product center. But a big thing is just passion for the the problem. You have to really be interested in agriculture and you have to be interested and passionate about farmers. And that's been the greatest part of FBN. That's what has united everyone who's joined the company and very proud that we have people who've been here for the whole duration, you know, eight, nine years. Some of our earliest employees are all still here. And it's a, it's a very, very meaningful problem, both where our food is coming from, how it's getting produced, and the lives and the livelihoods of the, the people and the communities behind it. And that's, that is, in essence, the FBN mission and empowering that through our technology and our network, that has to be filtered. So often in the early days at the company, we were only in Silicon Valley, we were only in San Carlos and Sioux Falls. It was really hard to find people in California who had that passion, but that was a good filter and say, hey, are you ready to go to North Dakota? in February and get out there and meet with growers before planting. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't, that's a pretty good sign. They're not going to be a good fit for the company. People in the Midwest don't bat an eye about that. And so, you know, for someone who's living in San Francisco, you had to be ready to go. But now since COVID, we are very distributed. We're all over. You know, now it's a little bit of a different tension of how do we get, you know, the right cohesion among the groups uh, as we're both remote and in person. But, you know, our teams are very ingrained in the farming communities all across the country. And so I think the thing that's united everyone is just the passion for the customer. And now we're going to take a quick break. 
When we come back, though, we're going to talk about how FBN is implementing AI, sustainability, and how Charles built the crucial relationships needed to break into the agriculture business. So you have this robust team and you have this new AI model out. How do you intersect humans and your AI model? Because your AI model does a lot of things. It also has, of course, chat, GPT, and it offers farmers a lot of different services. So how do you have human oversight? You know, what differentiates the AI in this case is, you know, the phenomenal quality assurance process that we put it through with our data science team and our agronomic, our veterinary experts, all the folks we have in the company who provide deep technical expertise to make sure that we're providing QA on the types of responses that it's providing so that it's not just running totally freewheeling, but it it is structured in the way it gives responses. And when it knows something, it knows its limits and it doesn't make a specific agronomic recommendation or animal health recommendation, for example, in, in the wrong way. So that just comes with, you need to have a deep technical bench. It's not so easy as just spinning up a chat GPT instance and letting it run. We have a lot of expertise behind the scenes, both in data science and our technical teams supporting it. And then, you know, from farmers, it's also about what questions do we really want it to be able to help with and help with first? Mm. There's a lot of very complex questions that require different types of data feeds and models to then go into it, which it can do. But we really want it to also help with the reasons farmers are coming to FBN today. So if they're shopping for crop protection chemicals, they need to know all the safety information, they need to know the application, the target pest, they need to know how that product's going to mix with other products, what sequence to apply it in. They want to ask it, hey, is it safe to spray today or safe to apply fertilizer or is it, you know, should I plant today? That means you need to take all that product information, the weather information the other, you know, environmental conditions to be able to say, yes, you know, today or tomorrow would be a good day to use this product. So those are really hard problems, but those are kind of, we're really kind of focusing on the specific use cases and applications that farmers are coming to FBN for the most. Mm -hmm. As you collect all this data, how does the company handle security and privacy? That's been foundational from the beginning. At the first level, it's the grower's data. They can share an anonymized version of their data with the network if they want to access aggregated anonymized reports. That's how we started. So that was things like if you wanted to see how seed was working on another growers across the uh, your state, then you shared your data anonymously into the system. No one could ever see your farm. You couldn't see anyone else's farm. And those were kind of foundational rules that have you know always been there. Same thing with price transparency. You could see what fair market prices were if you were sharing price data into the network and you could see what fair market prices that farmers were paying for were. That's kind of first and foremost, you have to have really strong rules. And, and sometimes that means that growers will say, well, I'm not quite ready to do that and say, okay, well, you don't have to, you also don't have to contribute data to FBN to use FBN. So you can buy products from FBN, you can get a loan from FBN, you can do your marketing, do your insurance, you can do all these things from FBN without using data, quote unquote. But there's all kinds of things you can do with data. So for example, now the sustainability, we have partnerships with ADM, where a grower can enroll by using parts of their farm's data and validating their practices that they're doing to capture premiums for the acre paid for by ADM and their downstream partners who are their their food companies they sell to. And that's validated through their grower's data and FBN and tracked and reported that way. So now your data can actually turn into an income opportunity. The second thing that now can do is we created a regenerative finance fund based on that. So we created a, a loan for farmers who were doing regenerative agriculture. They could get discounts on their loan if they were validating you know, those kind of practices, again, using their data. So 
it's all up to the grower is to decide how much or how little they want to do. And if they want to buy all their inputs and that's all they want to do, that's great. We serve them that way. If they want to go whole hog on data analytics, we can do that too. So privacy, security are really foundational, but fundamentally comes down to trust and creating a system that growers trust and want to use and want to work with an enormous amount of back-end work on our end with very, very hardcore data privacy and security and provisioning and access controls and things like that that protect our systems. And sort of switching gears for a second, I do want to ask you a couple questions about building the company, meeting your co-founder and the like, because I know, obviously, we talked about this a little earlier, you guys didn't come from the agriculture industry and then decide to take the leap to become entrepreneurs you sort of saw the problems from the outside and decided to kind of come into the space. And I'm curious, as a quote-unquote outsider, which always sounds really heavy, even though it's not necessarily, (laughs) how do you think being an outsider in the space has helped you guys grow the company? And maybe how do you think it's maybe held you back in other areas? Well, I certainly would say we weren't total outsiders, and definitely Amol was not. Amol had started a number of food and ag companies before he had, again, as I said, he he was at Cargill before. So he had a, a lot of very direct experience in food and agriculture. I had my my family's experience, but was coming to it, you know, professionally. I was, you know, most recently at Google and had been doing venture, but it was just a deep, deep personal interest and passion. I think there was a number of things that were it was a, a major benefit. Number one is just looking at the problem differently. One of the things that people will tell us all the time in agriculture, especially farmers, is say, you know, you just you just grow up in it, you assume this is the way it is and this is the way it works and this is the way it's always going to be and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's the frustration that farmers have. And so when you look at it from the outside, you see some really glaring problems like price transparency. So in the world of seed and chemical, these are $20 billion plus market in the US and Canada, $25 billion, almost no prices are put online. Well, why is that? And then you say, oh, okay, well, it's because the seed companies you know, control genetic trade access and licensing, and they block people from being able to post prices or sell products online. And the chemical world and the ag retail world, you know, is, is regionalized and says, come in and talk to me and I'll give you a price. I'll quote you individually. And you don't get to see what an actual fair market price is. Right. So the, the market had just kind of evolved to this point that was very anti-consumer in a sense where farmers as consumers weren't getting the basic benefits that they would get when making another purchase of that scale. If you're spending $100,000 or $200,000 on something, you should be able to know if that's a good price or not, right? There's kind of pretty basic assumptions. The market had just gotten to the point where that wasn't taking place. Another giant problem was most products in the chemical market were available in a generic form, but by volume, generics were still a small fraction of the market in the US because the ag retail system and the manufacturers were preventing uh, that in many cases from generics reaching mass market. And so a big thing that FBN really helped do is provide a lot of trust and confidence around generic products, concentrate around our Willowwood brand, our Farmers First brand, and provide more access and you know, product quality and assurance you know, around those generic products because there was just enormous savings available to farmers, sometimes you know, 40, 50% just from switching from branding to generic. So that was another very basic reason why the market was just simply not reflecting the reality of what could take place. You know, you saw that pretty quickly from just you know looking at it. And then you had to say, okay, can you do this? Can you actually implement this? And that's, I think, also where, you know, we got told a million times this won't work uh, (laughs) because it's going to take a lot of capital. This is really hard. You have to, you know, you're not from Nebraska, so on and so forth. Farmers won't want to work with you. But the general rule of thumb we tried to follow was if the industry told us something was a bad idea or that something wouldn't work, 
that typically meant there was something that they were trying to protect and that that was probably a good place to look to start a business. And uh, that was an unmet need for farmers. So we took a very contrarian view around that. And then fundamentally, the number of times people said, farmers will never work with you. They don't want to deal with data in that era of the company or they won't buy products from you. They won't buy chemical. They won't buy seed from you because you're not X, Y, or Z. That, that is just fundamentally misguided. Farmers are rational. They're business people. They're extremely intelligent. And if they see a smarter way, a better way of doing something, they're going to do it. Now, that means you have to provide customer service. They want to buy locally and support the local community. So there's a whole lot of things we do around that as well. But that's a very basic one is that a lot of people would have been dissuaded by just thinking, well, this is the way it works. This is the only way it can work. And it's too big of a task to try and take it off. So it's not been easy. We have a big company. We have a big team. We've been at it many years. We've grown enormously. But it is certainly not an easy problem that you wake up in college and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a digital ag distribution and retail and online uh, you know, supply system tied to a finance and insurance uh, technology platform. So yeah, it's a hard problem, but that means it's an important problem. Yeah, I've definitely heard that before that farmers don't want to work with outsiders. But you know, I mean, maybe those companies were just struggling and wanted a reason to say so as to point to why. I, I think, I mean, it, there's a lot of truth that no matter how much technology you have, farming at the end of the day is, uses a lot of relationships. Mm. But how do you build that relationship as a company with your customer? Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to have, if you don't have a franchise in every town, that there's no way you can do it. It does mean that there is a very basic distribution problem in agriculture. It's a rural, remote, rurally disaggregated you know, base. And so it's hard to distribute. And there's a lot of other you know, challenges to actually just basically meet the needs. I think that it means you, you can't just assume that I'm going to build a technology. The technology is going to speak for itself. I'm going to create a website. My problem is solved. That is far, far from the way agriculture works. And at the same time, you have to have that human element. So we have a, a large network of what we call FBN community builders who are basically sales agents of FBN. They're farmers who work in part-time. They can sell product for FBN and it's a great side income for them. And that for growers who want to buy that way and they want to buy with a local connection, they work with our community builders. For growers who are perfectly comfortable going on and buying online directly, they just can click and buy to their heart's delight. And we serve them that way. We can support them that way. We can support them with data and with AI. So you really have to meet the grower where they're at mm -hmm. and then use technology to support them. And thinking about where you guys are now, as you mentioned, you're nine years into this. You've seen sort of a couple different market cycles, at least on the venture side, since you guys got started. You're in almost a decade in. Where do you go from here? What are you thinking about <laughs> what's next? And what are your future plans? Well, a, a lot of it's just been also really running our business as efficiently and you know profitably as as we can, and that's been a, a long exercise in building it first, you know, figuring out the need, and then actually operationalizing it. We're just scratching the surface on a number of things. You know, as big as FBN has become, and we're one of the largest providers. Certainly, we're the the largest provider online of these products in the inputs world and crop protection and seed in, in the U.S. But we have a long, long way to go. So we've just started this massive initiative with ADM around sustainability. That is going to bring tens of thousands of new farms to FBN. So you're now enabling sustainability at scale, where a food company, like a very large food company like a Costco or a PepsiCo, a company like that can turn to an ADM and say, I want supply chain visibility, or I want to incentivize these kind of soil management or agricultural practices. They can put a premium into the market. ADM can buy that product from farmers through FBN, we can track and verify that. And so now for the first time, you can do true sustainability in the commodities mm -hmm. markets and do that at scale. 
And so that's now taking sustainability in agriculture, regenerative agriculture to a whole new level beyond people thinking, okay, sustainability in agriculture just means very small scale, very local, certain type of produce or fresh market crops. Now you can do this in the commodities, which is where the hundreds of millions of acres of agricultural production you know, are, are involved in. So that's tremendously exciting. Uh, we're obviously just in the U.S. and Canada primarily. We've just started in, in Brazil and serving uh, Brazilian growers. Agriculture is vast. There's many other countries we can expand to. There's many other products. We've just started in a big way with biological biostimulants, which is a way of providing a non-synthetic you know, fertilizer and crop nutrition to the crops, which is provides all kinds of environmental benefits as well as yield and cost benefits as well. So just a huge potential. We have our animal system and our livestock system. We can connect our cropping intelligence and our livestock intelligence and uh, help partners with a you know, more integrated approach. And then our finance has been the fastest growing part of FBM, which we started a couple of years ago, right, right at the start of COVID. And now I think we're, we think we're probably the number three non-bank lender in agriculture. So grown tremendously. We just came out with a host of new products around that. Again, all digitally enabled, providing better rates and more competition to the grower. No, it sounds like a lot of good stuff's in the pipeline. <laughs> but I think this is a good time for us to wrap. Thank you so much, Charles. This has been super interesting. I'm definitely going to look at my vegetables in the fridge a little bit differently now. Um, <laughs> but thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you guys. Thank you for having us. And that was our conversation with Charles. Dom, what'd you think? Yeah, the company is really cool. Yeah. No, I agree. I've always been really interested in the agriculture space because he sort of mentioned this too. It's like, you don't think about it too much, but then once you do, you realize just like how big of an impact it has on you, like all of your food comes from it. I know, right? So I'm always interested about like what's going on there. I know. And it was cool to kind of get behind the scenes on things that farmers need, like thinking about like insurance and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And I don't know, it was like the drama on the farms. Like I want to know it all, like what happens back there. I know, because I think one of the things about the agriculture industry that's so hard for me to wrap my head around is the fact that it's like when I think of a farm, I either think of like the little ones in my hometown that you would like go to the farm stand at, or I think of like Tyson chicken. Yeah, I know, right? And like nothing in between. But like, of course, there's like so much stuff in between that wouldn't have the resources of Tyson, but could use them and need all of these different like various tech solutions and things, which you don't always think about when you're thinking about like growing fruits and vegetables and the like. Yeah, I know. And it, it seems the industry could use a technological update. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too, what he said about when they originally started building the social network between the different farmers because they don't trust the big companies in the industry when they think about like what seeds to plant and stuff like that, which makes total sense. But of course, again, as someone who's just like not super well versed in the space was super interesting to find out that these farmers are like, no, 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 we can't trust those big guys. But like, what are you doing? with your apple trees this year. I know. Or whatever. Once, once again, I was like the drama. They don't trust the big farms. Know. You know, it's like a, when he said social network, I was thinking of like, I don't know, like a, a Twitter or like a Facebook or maybe like a little WhatsApp group. And everyone's just like talking about seeds and stuff. But I don't know. It, it's interesting. Yeah. And I liked the thought that it has this like human element to it with this social network because it's interesting. I have not exactly the same, but I remember I covered a company a few years ago called Frubana, which helps connect local growers in, I believe it was Colombia, to places where they could sell, like cutting out the middleman. And it was like, they have to be able to connect with each other. Like it can't be fully online. Like there has to be these sort of like physical elements to it. It's over text, like all these different things because the community had just like such specific needs. And I feel like this company like reminded me of that because farmers do have like a very interesting 
industry compared to a lot of others. It just really isn't similar to a lot of other things. I know. And it seems like, I mean, despite the fact that the company hits on a broad range of things, he is really well-versed within that world, despite technically kind of being an outsider a little bit. Like, he definitely Mm -hmm. knew his stuff. And he has a lot of respect for farmers. And so, I mean— that was cool to hear as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know someone's in deep if they're moving to Nebraska. I know, like, right? That's just like putting it right out there. Like, <laughs> you're clearly getting in deep. <laughs> when he said, you know, I'm in Nebraska, I was like, he's in deep. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if I would move to Nebraska. No offense to Nebraska. But on the point you made about how they're trying to do a lot at once, I definitely noticed that too because that's so not encouraged in like the startup ecosystem. And I mean, I guess this company would be far enough along that maybe their investors would be like more keen on it. But it seems like they kind of expanded pretty quickly once they got going, which I know is sometimes like a red flag for early stage companies from investors because it's like, why not try to just do one thing right? But I guess the more I think about it, maybe this industry is so, the agriculture industry is so nuanced that maybe it actually makes more sense for them. Yeah. Like it's like, it, I don't want to say easier, but maybe it is I don't know what you think about that, but maybe it is easier I don't know. to sort of do that strategy in such like a niche market. Anytime I see like companies that are kind of broad like that, I always think about this presentation I saw when they were showing business models and they were an entertainment company versus another company. And they were showing how when you build a company, when you focus specifically on things and you branch out, but still stay within the specific area that you're in, they framed it as like a really strong business model Hmm. compared to, you know, if you have a company and things are a little bit more broad, it's easy at the same time to kind of spin off different elements of it. So when he was saying that, I was thinking, oh yeah, he has this big company right now that's really broad, but he can also, if he ever wanted to break up the company, he could also have just like a bunch of little companies and create like a little farming empire conglomerate, I guess, if that's what he wants. That's Mm -hmm. the only thing I could think about when he was saying that. But that probably has nothing to do with anything. I don't know. That presentation stuck in my head forever. No, I know, because that is interesting. Because I feel like certain companies get knocked for it, but maybe others can, yeah, kind of show why it's actually like an advantage. But I mean, that wouldn't be the first time VCs were like, I'm not investing in a company because this is bad when they're like, all the evidence proves otherwise. So never am surprised when that happens. But speaking of VCs, I thought it was interesting what he said about the fundraising, because while there are quite a few VC funds that talk about their interest in the ag tech space. And there's definitely a group of investors who are interested in this space. He made it seem like it was really easy to fundraise, which I don't know. I just have a hard time believing like a business suite of stuff for farmers is that easy to get investors for, even if they are interested in agriculture. I don't know. I know. He was kind of vague with it. He was like, well, you know, agriculture is a big industry and people love it. And people just, you know, they get it and stuff. And I was like, yeah, the agriculture industry is really big. But like, let's talk about Silicon Valley for a moment and venture capitalists. Right. Like, what was it really like pitching? But then again, maybe it wasn't hard for him. I mean, he was an insider. He does have, you know, uh, what is it? He is a man. Um, And he did go to Harvard Business School. And maybe it was easy for him, but also just knowing venture capitalists, I'm like, I don't know how easy, though. Yeah. I think the one thing that maybe would make me believe that is his co-founder yeah. being a former partner at Kleiner. That definitely That'll do. that definitely doesn't hurt. Well, I guess it could hurt you depending on how you leave, but <laughs> oh, I think for the most part, uh, that's going to help you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. that You know, that that helps. That helps a little bit. Yeah, for sure. 
But what was interesting was him talking about the tension between him and, I guess, the bigger corporations that were doubting him Mm -hmm. and seeing that tension and how he's like, you know, we're prevailed. Look at us now. It's 10 years. So, you know, I mean, that was that was another cool element, I guess. It's kind of like a hero's journey, right? In a sense, outsider comes in, Mm -hmm. takes on big farm and uh, wins or winning right now. Yeah, a little bit. Especially because when you think about it too, like a lot of startups are like, oh, we're we're trying to innovate on a legacy industry. But few industries are literally like, well, it's two companies, one. And the people who are customers of those companies don't trust them, which is like not the case you generally get of people just being like, oh yeah, banks are like not the best. Like I get why people are building in fintech. But this case, it's like there's two companies and no one likes them. And that's who you're building against. Like that's such a huge feat. To like I know, right? Tackle. I'm just, oh my goodness. And no one likes them. What is the tea? What happened? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like, like what you're saying, like this conversation is just reminding me that like the farming world, unexpected source of fun drama. I would love to see a TV show. I need to see like a succession style, Yellowstone style show about the farming world. I need that. Oh, I would totally watch that. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skuta, alongside senior reporter Dominic Majori Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Listener.